heaven? No. It's Iowa. We were somewhere outside of Iowa City when the drugs began to take hold. Hey, 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 hey. It's a podcast guest. Let's get him on. What? No, we can't stop here. This is Hawkeye country. Gee whiz. I never been on a podcast before. Is that right? Well, I guess you're about ready then, aren't you? I hate to say this, Eric, but this place is getting to me. I think I'm getting the fear. As your attorney, I advise you to get your mescaline ready, because up next is fear and loathing in Las Vegas on the pod of dreams. You want me to go to Las Vegas at once? As your attorney, I advise you to rent a very fast car with no top. Tape recorder for special music. Get the hell out of L.A. for at least $48. Well, I'll set if I could just get, get you John Hancock, you're on your way. Yeah. Listen, you're going to be real careful with this car, right? Oh, yeah, man. We can't stop here. This is bat country. God damn, I've never rode in a convertible before. Get out. Why not? Is this not a reasonable place to park? Reasonable? You're on a sidewalk! Higher! What's the score here? <laughs> Lucy paints portraits of Barbara Streisand. A bless. Hell, look what you're doing to your car! <laughs> How much is that back? Police, are you people crazy? What are we doing out here in this godforsaken road? Your airport's over there, right? I've never missed a plane yet. <laughs> Universal Pictures presents the story that defined a generation. Johnny Depp. Benicio Del Toro. Let's get down to brass tacks here. How much for the eight? Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. A Terry Gilliam film. All right, now I've got to go. Tuck lunch! Radio, man, radio. You don't know. Ben, let's get down to brass tacks. How much for the ape? We're talking about fear and loathing in Las Vegas on the pot of dreams. I picked this movie for this week. Uh, this movie means a lot to me. So in my early 20s, when we would have, you know, nights where we had chemicals in our systems, it, this was the movie we ended the night with very often. We put it on. I'd only make it about halfway before we start passing out, but it was often on. We quoted this movie constantly. And it's just, it was a big part of my youth. I wanted to rewatch it now as an older man and see what I thought about it and see if it held up, see if the, some of the things that I always had kind of issues with still rang true. But mostly I just wanted to hang out with my buddies. And um, I had such a great time doing that. What was your experience with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Uh, it, it definitely a movie that matters a lot less to me than it did at any point than it apparently did to you. I we, we've had a few mo- movies now where they just were kind of all over 
the scene among the crowds we percolated in that poster of Johnny Depp's, the weird psychedelic poster. I don't, it was on a lot of people's walls. A oh, yeah. lot of people had it. I had a, a buddy who was super into Hunter S. Thompson and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I, I think I tried to watch the movie a couple of times before finally making it through. Uh, but I don't think I was stone cold sober for any of them. So there's a lot of this stuff that was fuzzy. I didn't really remember. So it was very interesting to rewatch, but I feel like I never loved it as much as my my demographic did. It never really resonated with me on that that deep level. But what did you think? You, you came back. You're you're a middle aged man. You've got a, you've got a family. Is it as much? Did you get as much out of it now as you did when you were in your twenties? You know, it, it's one of those movies that, and this is the same as it was before when I was younger. I love thinking about it so much more than I loved watching it. And, and it's, it's the, the quotes, the lines, the, the sequences. I find, I find this movie hilarious. Like I laugh so much. There is some very dark stuff in this movie. And that was always the part about it. It was always the part, like when it started to get dark, I turned it off. And that was interesting watching this now getting to the end of the movie. I don't, I didn't never remembered how this movie ended. like the last third of the movie. I just never watched it. We always just turned it off. And um, because it gets super ass dark, like the scene in the, the coffee shop, like that is a the fucking, diner is that is a the, dark ass scene for a movie like that is some serial killer shit. And it was always a part of the movie. It's like, I, I hate this. I don't like this at all. It makes me so uncomfortable. But watching it now, kind of thinking about Hunter S. Thompson, what he meant to that generation, what all the all the, you know, 60s into the 70s the free love and the Timothy Leary shit and like kind of analyzing that and how, you know, what this says about drugs in, in general and also what it says about a generation. I think it's such a profound movie and it's just, a, I think people miss the meaning of it and get caught up in the weird shit. Like, I mean, you know, 20 minutes in this movie, all of a sudden you see like dragons or like reptiles fucking each other. It, it gets crazy. And, you know, if, if you're not ready for that trip, if you didn't buy the ticket and you're not ready to take the ride, this movie blows your mind and you're just going to walk out and leave. So, man, uh, I guess then I, I must have missed the meaning. There, there are two scenes which where there were actually, I thought, actually interesting ideas. Clearly, there's some some the drug war is stupid and cops don't haven't done enough drugs to understand them or drug user stuff going on. But there's the scene about the wave. But the only thing I've remembered was that line about how in the 60s, the wave kind of crescendoed and then it receded, right? Like this possibility that was happening, this sense of massive change that was coming in the 60s. That subsided and then, you know, people started to go back to whatever everybody else was doing before and it's kind a- of accepted the change wasn't happening. There's that line and there's like you can't get peace and love from a drug. Those two lines where he's kind of talking about the hollowness of drugs or the experience consciousness expansion doesn't work or doesn't get you out of it but boy i don't think there was that much more going on i was a movie i thought was a lot more interesting to watch than to think about i find myself wondering what was really the point uh, of all of, all of this i had trouble relating to those two characters this is me aging i thought they were both kind of douchebags and dicks they're and assholes culminates. and I, do, I don't laugh at them treating people poorly i mean they're not sticking it to anybody in power there's a poor like cleaning woman who's assaulted. There's the woman in the diner. Um, 
all sorts of people are just treated horribly and is people there, have to clean up their mess. And is there like statutory rape or like I mean, yeah. there's like are they treated Like like that is some weird shit. What happens with her? Like it's it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, there's parts where it's absurd because I do think they get a lot about drug use from my understanding correct, and I appreciate kind of how seriously it took drug use and and what can happen uh but i was sitting there thinking did you really need to take a bunch of drugs in las vegas in 1971 to understand the decaying american dream and treat a bunch of people horribly and be awful is that was that necessary to get that you couldn't have done that other ways i mean the benito toro character is an absolute lunatic i mean he's scary throughout and then the diner scene is where there's no pretense that it's even funny or weird anymore or that it's just drugs. Like there's just something deeply addled about his brain. And Hunter assumption just sits there and is like, ah, all right, I'm going to let you denigrate her and threaten her. And I'm not going to do anything. And I'm just going to sit here. I guess I'll politely bring back my plate and not steal it like a gentleman. Um, but I sit there and think, Oh man, I don't relate to any of these people. And I guess you could look at that as a metaphor for, Hey, this is ultimately what the hippies were about, which was nothing or cynicism or nihilism, maybe if you want to take it there. But I had a hard time um, tracking with these characters. Uh, it was just, just, they were frustrating to me. I, I found their behavior frustrating because again, they're not rebelling except for against random people whose whatever's wrong with America is not their fault, but I don't know. But that's the point though. So that, so the movie starts with the quote, it says, he who makes himself a he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Like that's the quote of uh, played before the movie starts, and that's what these guys do. They make beasts of, them, of themselves. They take drugs. They get so fucked up, and and it's about this reflection of the '60s drug culture, which is like peace and love. We're all gonna get get fucked up, and we're gonna take these crazy psychedelic drugs, and we're gonna change the world. And this movie and and the book that he wrote about the you know which became the movie is just saying like no this this is it wasn't about anything it was about people getting blitzed out of their minds with no points with no meaning and they were animals to themselves and to other people and they didn't find any truth about life or about living they didn't win any battle against the man or against those that were in charge they just destroyed their own lives and that. Timothy Leary, so if, if you don't know anything about him, he was the guy that did all these uh, studies on LSD, that LSD was going to be this new wonder drug and had all these people taking it, basically convinced a lot of people to start taking LSD. And, you know, it turned out as a lot of these people just destroyed their lives and were completely fucked up. And I think that's the point of those dark scenes. I, I read this piece from, you know, the director of this movie, which I think we need to talk about Terry Gilliam a little bit. A little oh, bit. sure. But... He, you know, he talked about those really dark scenes like the diner scene and, you know, showing them be assholes. And it was always the part I hated about this movie it was the part that always turned me off. It's like these guys are fucking jerks. Like they treat people like the, the part where Hunter S throws the change at the little person you know, like really early in the movie where they talk about going on the trip. I hated that scene. It's like, why is he such a dick to this? This guy who's just doing his job. He's just their waiter. And Hunter S is like, it's not funny. That's not cool. You're just a fucking asshole. And I, I hated that scene. 
But I think it's a reflection that drugs do this to people. Like, there's if this movie was just them getting fucked up and having fun, I think it would be awful. Because then it's like, yeah, let's go get fucked up and go to Vegas and have a good time and treat people like shit and we have a lot of fun. And it's the hangover, right? The hangover, there's no consequences for these people. But in this movie, there are consequences. They destroy lives. I mean, they don't, I guess, they don't suffer consequences. They don't experience the consequences. But there's we, no, we their lives see them. Ruined. We see them uh, in, in the light of like these are awful human beings, like these are terrible people, and I really the, the, this time watching it through as an older person, like I older person, I, I really liked that reflection on what drugs can do. There's bad trips, right? Like you can take drugs. I've never taken psychedelic drugs, but like yeah, I understand you take psychedelic drugs. You can have a really bad trip. It can really bring you down. You can really freak out, and you can really do some dangerous, scary things. And I think this movie reflects that. And that's what those scenes are intended to do, which I enjoyed. I see. I guess I disagree because there's not even a pretense that Hunter S. Thompson and Benicio del Toro's character are going to try to change or do anything positive. I mean, they're basically, I mean, lying about covering a race uh, and then lying about covering a cop drug convention. They were lying. Did he write the article? When did he write the article about the race? It, well, he didn't write it, but he was hired to. That's okay. the truth. That's the truth of the story. So it's Hunter S. So in this movie, he play, Hunter S. Thompson plays Raul. The thing, they, they actually did this. That's another thing. This isn't just a metaphor. Some of it. Some of it. A lot of it, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I was wondering how much of this was creative license. And there's well, apparently not a lot. Johnny See? Depp, who spent a lot of time with Hunter S. Thompson before they made this movie, said – there's a lot more that they did that's not in the book or in the in the movie. So yeah, sure, they did they, a they lot don't of this show shit. A full section yeah. where they had apparently blacked out and did really awful stuff. So, I mean, we can try to couch this as a metaphor, but I don't think they went in there. We're going to change the world. I'm going to write a great article about the Mint 400 that's going to change the world. It, it was clearly they're going there just to get fucked up. I mean, they're not they're not even pretending like they're there's going to get anything out of it other than hedonistic pleasure. Um, I mean, I guess I don't really get that they had motives and then, oh, look, we ended up doing nothing. Well, he wrote one of the great American novels is what happened. You know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I got right here, is one of the great American novels that he wrote based off of his journey. He was journey. hired. I think he was hired by Sports Illustrated to write this story about this race and was like, no, nah, fuck that. This this race is stupid. Like this is a dumb thing that people do. I want I want to dig deeper under the core of American life and, and find some and more. They, how did he dig? What did they find? Where was they the got fucked up? No, they found that the they didn't do any digging. I well, disagree that they dug. He looked that's, at that's, five years after the summer of love and realized, looking back, that you could find the wave crest and there was nothing there. It was. So he just got that one thought. So all the other stuff, he got that one good thought, was able to transcribe it, and that was the value. That was his digging. Have uh, other great American writers written better stuff than that? I don't know. It's, I think, one of the most think, profo profound writings that anyone has ever written. Do you think that the fact that the hippies failed and didn't win and all went back home and sold out and became the baby boom generation, like – you? That's that's a prof the most profound thought of an American author ever. One of them, absolutely. Okay. Put, well, I, I, put I guess I there. should out myself because I I never gotten the mythos of of Hunter S. Thompson the way that other people do. I I clearly don't 
value him as much as other people do because I wouldn't say that's the most incredible and original thought ever. I mean, I guess if he's the first person that thought, wow, the hippies failed and it amounted to nothing, that's fine. But I mean, even take like the movie Woodstock. I don't know if you've seen the documentary Woodstock. I mean, here, here's a movie that came out before Hunter S. Thompson did this trip in 1971. Woodstock came out in 1970. There's a, you see the craziness of that concert. Um, you see all the bands and how nuts it is and they can't contain stuff and the logistics are a nightmare. And it's so insane to see all those incredible bands there in 1970. And, and it culminates in Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, it's awesome. Jimi Hendrix is an incredible guitar player. Obviously that's a, a, a trite observation. But he plays it. And then afterwards, after that, you see, after all the people have come and seen the show and had this awesome experience at Woodstock, there's just dissolution everywhere. There's just trash and sparse patches of, of dirt and mud everywhere. And there's nothing left. And of course, to even sustain that, they had to have locals feeding them because the logistics weren't there to support everybody. And it's this like fascinating look at exactly the culmination and the, you don't describe it as a high watermark of, of the hippie culture and things not ever happening. And there's just ended up being this, this culmination of, of fun and happiness that didn't mean anything ultimately. And actually was but kind of destructive. Just, and that's 1970. That movie came out in 1970 before right. great writer Hunter S. Thompson got fucked up, treated people like shit and wrote that the hippies failed and the hope died. But juxtapose that with the Nightmare at Altamont, right? The Rolling Stones Altamont concert, free concert. It was supposed to be basically the the redux of of uh, Woodstock, and they have the Hell's Angels, which again, Hell's Angels tied that back to Hunter S. Thompson because that's how he got famous was embedding himself in the Hell's Angels, and people get killed, and it's a fucking disaster, and it's the end of the Summer of Love. It's the end of the hippie that era. That composer was seventy one, right? Right, exactly. But I'm just saying, like, that's that's what he's writing about. That's what he's writing about. He's writing about, you look, this is five years later. This is even later than that. He's like, you go, you look back at the hippie area. We didn't accomplish anything. None of that meant shit. Like, we didn't, we thought we were changing the world, and we weren't. All these people in charge, they won anyways. Vietnam ended in, in a way that, you know, we didn't, it's not because of us. We didn't end no, it Vietnam. No, it petered out. Like, it was a disaster, cost too much. People got sick of it, and Gerald Ford became president. I, I think after with Nixon. your cynicism that you relate to, I, I would think that this would touch you in a way that's like, yeah, all these people, these hippies thought they were going to change the world. They I agree were- with that, Eric. I just don't know how much credit I give Hunter S. Thompson for having this super original, profound thought about it. That's where I'm at. I, I agree the hippies failed. Well, I don't, you can't argue with him being one of the main minds to write about that time. Like that's that, just, that that's may a be. Truth. That's a truth. That's a, like an I didn't say he truth. wasn't one of the main minds. I don't know what that means to be one of the main minds, but yeah, that's fine. He wrote the about fig- it. He was, the figures. He's the main figure to write he's about. He's a counterculture that. kind of getting into the underground, and that's kind of what he did. So if you don't, if, for those of you who don't know, his one of his first main uh, where he sort of became famous, he embedded himself in with the Hell's Angels and wrote a book about what it's like being in the Hell's Angels. And that's the, where the gonzo journalism kind of started. It's this idea where you're like, you're involved in a movement or you're involved in an incident, and then you write about it. Like the, the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the this book, which became the book, was originally a Rolling Stone article. They published it in two different Rolling Stone issues. It was his journalism. He's writing about this race, but then also not really writing about this race. 
he's writing about, you know, the time and the era. And it, it was just an article. He was a journalist at the time, but it's not true. The stuff in there is, is a lot of exaggerated. He doesn't use his real name. Um, Dr. Gonzo is not him. It's his, his friend that uh, he was using as a as sort of a stand in uh, who was like a prominent Latino lawyer. Um, but I, I just, I think that's, that's pretty brilliant. It's a thing we'll never see again. Hunter S. Thompson is a figure we will never see in modern life. And I, I, I think it's worth celebrating, worth discussing. And, you know, f- think of what it is. Like he was an asshole. He treated people like shit in this movie. I think it accurately represents it. I mean, we talked about, uh, you know, some other bad figures in some of our podcasts. Is it worth talking about people that are pretty shitty? Yeah, raging I'm not bull? saying Jake LaMotta is a pretty shitty guy. And you thought that movie. I didn't was say incredible. that. I'm not saying the movie shouldn't be made. That Terry Gilliam shouldn't be able to make the movie. He wants to make a movie, make a movie. I, I'm not saying it should be canceled. I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. I just, it, it doesn't re- resonate with me as, as nearly as profound as it does to you. I'm, uh, maybe he was the first to have a thought. Maybe he was the most eloquent to write that series of thoughts about how the hippies failed. Um, maybe, I don't know, but I look at that and think that that was what came out of you going to Vegas, trashing hotel rooms, treating people like shit was to be able to just say that so that like, if he didn't do that, we wouldn't have known that the hippies failed. We needed him. He's the only one that could articulate that the hippies failed, that the, that there was the darkness, the dark side of the hippie dream that it was illusory. I, I don't think he was the first, last, or only person to write about it. Um, and I, I guess no, but I he was the best. Cool. He wrote about it in the. He was the best to do it. Yeah, like, how many other people that wrote about the sixties have you read, uh, Eric? He's the coolest for sure. He's definitely a cool guy. He's the coolest to write about it. He's right in a way that that resonates in a cool way because he's a really really cool dude. But um, I don't know. Is he the best? Maybe. I don't know. Well, let's, know so that, let's talk. Let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about the film. We've spent a lot of time discussing Hunter S. Well, Thompson. Well, this is this. Well, this is that's that's what the movie is. Um, but yeah, we can talk about the filmmaking, which I so I like a lot. It starts out. I think this movie starts out in an absolute bang. Like I, I would watch the first twenty minutes of this movie just on repeat. I fucking love every second of how it starts out. So they're just on the highway, and it's literally the first line of the book. The somewhere a bar stole. And the drugs began to take hold. And it, you're just like, bam, in this movie, they're driving on the highway. They're so fucked up. They have no idea what they're doing. And I'm just, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be in the car with these guys and just having a blast. You Were you not, you just, you you weren't, that wasn't a thing you, you didn't enjoy it at all or what? That, that resonated with me more when I was in my 20s. Like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. We're having fun. We're being, we're doing fun stuff. The, it seemed a lot more cool um when i was in my 20s now I, I think about how fucked up they are and how i guess it's the desert so there's not that many people around but like i'm glad they didn't kill somebody crash uh, the car kill somebody or kill yes, themselves i yeah, think that the whole time sure. so i don't think it's that cool i guess i don't think i mean he, they have a case worrying. of beer and he's drinking beer they're taking c- cracks and so i thought mescaline was like peyote right i thought it was something you smoked but i guess not I guess you crack it. They were and you snorting just it. That was snorting that was the mescaline. Mescal- yeah, I think the, the the little crack thing, the canisters. That I thought was that was mescal- something else. I thought that was like, um, not whippets. Um, I don't know. No, that was mescaline. Are. Okay. Which is basically my understanding is I've never done mescaline. I have. I'm just going to freely admit that. But my understanding well, is I have basically, either, so I, I basically don't know. peyote is a from the cactus. 
But yeah, I mean, they're just, he's tripping balls. He thinks there's fucking bats all over the place. And then they pick up Tobey Maguire, pick up Spider-Man and just messing with him completely. And yeah, they're, they're assholes. I just they're, feel bad for him. Like I feel bad for Tobey Maguire that whole time. I, I, I don't think it's they fun didn't that they're do fucking, anything to him though. Right. They're waving a gun around and they're being insane. I mean, they're clearly fucked up on drugs and they're driving insanely in the middle of nowhere. Maybe terrifying. I, I mean, I would want to run too. But um, he's also a hitchhiker outside of Vegas. Like, you're going to meet some fucking characters, right, if you That's do true. that? That's true. I mean, I do appreciate the the way they made reality look. Um, so my, my father-in-law has used to go hitchhiking. I mean, he's an older guy, and he was, you know, while hitchhiking was still a thing, he's hitchhiked across the country before, which blows my mind. I can't fathom doing that um, at all. It just seems nuts. But I look at them and think, okay, I guess we're doing this so that Hunter S. Thompson can get to some thoughts he couldn't get to otherwise without doing this trip, I suppose. That's the job. But at some point, I'm like, why Why do you have to get so messed up in a way that puts other people at risk and is really destructive to other people um, the whole sure. time? Yeah. I, about, I appreciate the terror, though. Think like, about like a narc, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But you didn't think like – no point no, there we go. I, yeah, see, I'm not a cool guy. No uh, point cool mentioning these like bats. I thought poor bastard, he's soon, seen them soon enough. You didn't think that was funny at all? You didn't find that humorous in any way? Not really, no. I was, I, a little bit. I mean, I like the intro. It's a great, it is a great way to start a movie or a book. I mean, you're right in the middle of it. The drugs starting to take hold. You're just outside of Barstool. Like, I mean, that's the, a, it's a great the, literary way to start a a story Benicio giving him the acid and not, and and when Hunter when when uh Raul Duke was like wait hold on a second like wh- how long is this going to take and he's like I don't know man it might hit you before we get to Vegas I he, says love- he says you're not going to make it he says you're not going to make it it's more dumb. It's, and he's like, not- and, he, and he's like pissed he's like fuck man you made me take acid like you didn't make him do anything well what, you, you, you a ass man he he's growing it right, but he's mad at him that like hold on a second I got to check into this hotel like so the I think the one major flaw of this movie is you don't know what's happening, like you don't know why he's doing any of this until like Correct. way later. He doesn't think, really even articulate why he did any of it. No, I don't even think that gets flushed out I think out if there well. was like a bit like I love the way it starts, but then just jump back and do a scene where he's hired by like. Sports Illustrated, they're like, hey, go to this thing. And, and so then you know why he's there, I think would improve this movie quite a bit. If you're like, oh, that's why – that's what's happening is he's 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 going to cover this race. I think it would add a lot to the movie if you're like, oh, okay. Then, then you understand what he's doing there because when you watch it, you're like, what the fuck? Is, you have no idea what he's doing. You're completely lost. And then he gets to the hotel and all of a sudden the acid kicks in. And he's just tripping balls. The lady. That's the part I liked the most. That was the funniest. Like the simple task of checking into a hotel is something right. a lot of people have done a lot of times. It's very easy. And, but and but Benicio tells on drugs. Like, you're gonna check in on an assumed name, like, like committing capital fraud. He's like, oh shit. And then right, you can yeah, see the he's second, like freaking out, like, oh shit, I can't do this. I can't do this, man. Right, like, right. A simple task becomes way more complicated when you're on drugs. It's something very mundane, shouldn't be difficult, becomes terrifying. I think that's and hilarious, though. It's it's so it funny. It wasn't hilarious, but I appreciated the authenticity of it. Like, okay, here here this is very very difficult um it shouldn't be but it is and that's how messed up they are i appreciated that I and mean, there's times like i think they get the drug i'll remember stuff. your face <laughs> take the ticket take the ticket yeah. i'll remember your face like, i need oh, this right <laughs> um that's fine yes very the very simple interaction become very very stressful and difficult something you wouldn't think twice about 
become these very very high octane and, and the mean, paranoia honestly the to be paranoia completely fucked up on drugs to check in a vegas hotel to get your credential your press credentials like that would be a real challenge and you know i really i i think you know if you're watching this movie and you're just like I, okay i'll check it out and you get to the scene where he checks in the hotel and he turns around and all of the patrons turn into fucking reptiles that's where you're walking out of the theater right you're just like nope this is not for me. I this is I, I'm checked out of this. But I I think that's like you're you're finally in his mind. You're seeing what he's seeing, and he is tripping balls. And all of a sudden, these people turn into reptiles, and he's got to fucking handle his shit and and get those his hotel room. I I love that scene. I think it's incredible. There's also one little piece of it that I really I've always loved is is when he walks in there before they turn into reptiles. There's like a couple that are sort of arguing and he leans in and he lights a cigarette on the guy. The guy has a lighter and he's like, get out of here, get out of here. And Hunter S kind of steps back. And then the woman's like, I like the way you handled that. And you hear like their conversation. I really love that touch too. Cause it's like what, you know, you're seeing what these people, how these people would react to this guy. That's just completely blitzed out of his mind. And there's a bunch of stuff in the movie that I really love where you're kind of seeing how other people react to these guys that are just totally fucking lost it with drugs. And that's one of them that I, I really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Terry Gilliam a lot as a filmmaker. And I think there's a lot of things I like about this movie as a whole. I mean, it's impressive how we got that old Vegas look. I mean, I guess I don't know what Vegas looked like in 1971, but um, boy, it really feels like a different Vegas, like pre family friendly, you can bring 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 the wife and kids to Vegas. It looked like a very very different kind of thing. Yeah, this movie uh, came out in 1998, so filmed in the late 90s. Yeah, and it, it seemed to capture the world. There's gross print everywhere. I mean, I'm like, was this the, was this the carpet and the this the carpet they had in the 70s? And it was probably it was just looked really really nasty. Um, I mean, everything just kind of looked gross even before it got messed up. Um, and the acting is, I mean, it was nice to be reminded that Johnny Depp used to really be a great actor. Oh, like, fucking I, Johnny Depp is and Benicio Del Toro, he's a revelation I mean, in this movie. He really is. Yeah, you before forget Jack that Sparrow. Him. Yeah, before Jack Sparrow, yeah, he was a guy that was actually doing, like, legitimate acting. I mean, this is Beetlejuice, Jack Sparrow, like you said. Like, this is the same guy. He, he Johnny Depp. Did you mean he, Edward Scissorhands? This, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, not Beetlejuice. He's Edward Scissorhands. Sorry, I've been drinking. I don't know if I mentioned that before, but uh, I've been yeah, drinking I mean, throughout this, this episode. Is, I mean, he's, he'd done Ed Wood, which is also great. I mean, he was just doing great stuff. And I was like, this, yeah, it's, it's a pitch-perfect performance. And Benicio Del Toro is also great. Uh, I mean, they're playing guys I don't is like. Is he, though? Is Benicio? I love I love his performance, but he, he's the part of the movie I think most people would point to and like I they would say this is the part of the movie I don't like is the his his portrayal of the character. Like the whole part I mean, with the with the white rabbit and he wants to kill himself and the whole part with where he picks up uh Christina Ricci, which is super dark. Like that's a real dark scene and dark sequence. Like would this movie be better without his character in it? Maybe. He's, I think he he gained like forty five pounds to play that role. Like he he's commit he is committed to that so role. Is it, but is the problem with this 
I, but if the problem is just his character in general, it's not Benicio del Toro's fault. It's because he's. Oh no, no, I would never criticize Benicio. Benicio is the because I'm man. talking about his performance, playing an awful person. I you get that he does a lot of like the worst stuff is him, and you know Johnny Depp's along for the ride. Um, but Dude, I got season tickets on Benicio. He's he's the fucking man in this movie. But but I, but I get yeah. If it were a, a milder movie, if he were if. Hunter S. Thompson were messed up in Vegas and seeing all this insanity and not being destructive and yes, committing statutory rape and. Uh, well, you know. well, did he though? We don't. I guess we don't know that. For uh, well, see, here's here's what he did in a minimum: picked up a girl and got her hooked on acid. Yeah, and took her to a hotel room. Okay, what a saint! What a nice Who guy. Maybe was underage. We don't know for certain, but yes. Even if she's that's... 18, I you know okay, the cool that not that's... good, not good, not a good look. Um. So I get there. I mean, I, the part with Cameron Diaz, I mean, there, there are parts that are hard to follow. You can maybe explain to me what happened with the Gary Busey cop. I got really confused by that interaction. So, I, I didn't understand why he was going to let go. And that, then why Johnny Depp was worried Gary Busey was going to come after him. Was that just Johnny Depp or being paranoid? A couple of things that I read. So all that was improvised. Apparently it okay. was a completely improvised by Gary Busey. I, I think the idea is that Gary Busey looks at his ID and knows who he is. Okay. Sure. Knows that he's that Hunter. Scene. Knows that he's Hunter S. Thompson, the famed writer, and is like, dude, just go fucking take a nap. I'm not gonna arrest you. You're obviously drunk. Go go take a rest. Sure. And Hunter S. is like, I can't. If I take a rest, I'm gonna sleep for like three days. Got it. And so he drives off and is just like you know, fuck this guy. And then he sees Toby and is just like, fuck all this. And he peels out of there. So the, the weird thing is like, I want to kiss you. Cause I'm lonely. That, that was like, what are we trying to say? I, I what are we trying to say with well, that? There was that? And then he also had some lines about how the guy, once he got far enough away or past the rest station, he'd be in the cop's jurisdiction again or something. There was some line about how he was, I, I couldn't follow it, but it was something like, well, I think he's telling him like drive out of here and then I'm not going to, I can't follow you. Like, just get out of okay. here. But the, the I, I, can I get a kiss? I want a kiss because I'm lonely. That part was just like, what? What? Are we we're just ripping on cops then? Is that the whole point? Uh, yeah, I was a little lost at that. So Terry Gilliam, I think we should have a little chat about Terry Gilliam. Oh yeah. Uh, so famed Monty Python direct. He was the director of all the Monty Python episodes, yeah. right? And he was the director of Monty Python, the Holy Grail, which is one of the greatest comedies ever. Uh, he's made a bunch of movies, Time Bandits, which I don't, I'm not a big Time Bandits guy. Do you like Time Bandits? Have you ever seen that? I, I like how weird it is. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's I not, can't figure out what's going in. It's not my jam. It's so weird. The ending doesn't make sense. Do you, you remember the ending of that movie? No. Sean Connery's in that, right? For, for a minute. Yeah, he plays like some old like king in the desert and he becomes a father figure for that kid. Well, it's kind of like the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe where the kid goes through his closet and he can like time travel, right? Yeah, yeah, but then it involves God and the devil and then God kills the devil and the kid ends up back to his parents' house and his parents don't care about him. But then uh, there's a fire, like there's something in the toaster and then his parents, the movie ends with his parents dying and Sean Connery drives away as a firefighter. He's just standing there as his parents touch this like black goo and disappear, like die. Don't remember that. It's insane. All. It's so I probably like it more than you do because it's weird. But I, I, it's not one of the all-time greats. But it's it's different. It's the kind of movie you're not really gonna ever see again. Yeah. 
And so, like, Brazil is one of his famous movies. I've never seen Brazil. I don't know anything it's, about it's that. It's a great satire. Is it? It's, okay. It, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's got hints of 1984 and all this other weird stuff. And there's, it's one where you have to be careful about which version you see because there's a studio version where his original ending is very cynical and, you know, nihilistic. And then the studio thought it was too depressing. So they made it a happy ending, um, which didn't fit and was qualitatively worse. But I, I think Brazil's great. Uh, okay. Uh, so Fisher King's one that I know very well. I've not seen it. Robin Williams, uh, Jeff Bridges, but Twelve Monkeys. 12, I mean, Twelve Monkeys is that's a that is like in my wheelhouse. That movie is oh, so sure. incredible. Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis. It's weird as shit, but it's it's an incredible movie. And then yeah. he makes this movie. Then he makes Fear and Loathing, and it, like it. It's funny because a lot of his movies are kind of childish. And this movie is not childish at all. Like this movie. Oh, see, I would argue it's very childish. But anyway, go ahead. Really? Okay. Interesting. I, I, I feel like it's. A ch- I want to go to Vegas and get fucked up with my buddies. Yeah, it'd be really fucking cool to do that. And then we can talk about how it's profound and we learn shit afterwards. Yeah. But the development of this movie is interesting because so obviously the book came out in the seventies. Uh, been trying to make it into a movie for a super long time, and. You know, originally, like Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were supposed to play the two leads. I think at some point Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi were going to play the two leads. So it, it had been that. kicked around for decades. And then Johnny Depp kind of got involved, and he he became really close with Hunter S. Thompson. I think didn't he like burn his ashes or something when I have no idea Hunter S. Thompson be. died. Like he became and he did Rum Diaries. I don't know if you saw that, which is. Another one of Hunter S. Thompson's books, Johnny Depp starred in it. Uh, I think it's where he met uh, what's the chick from from Aquaman, uh, Amber Heard. They okay. they're like in a, they're in like a bad divorce right now. Anyways, totally not not part of the point. But uh, he he like Hunter S. Thompson. I think picked Johnny Depp. Like yeah, you're you're the guy. Like you should play me. And Johnny Depp lived with him, and be, they became like super close. And uh. I think Terry Gilliam's the right guy for this movie because surrealism, right? Like we're like the drugs and the psychedelics. I think you can't make a story about Hunter S. Thompson without talking about surrealism and psychedelics. And I think he does a really good job at that. Like, where do you stand with that? Because there's a lot of like weird shit, like the the reptiles and the visuals that he sees. Like, there's there's weird things. Like, do you think that's done well? Yeah, I mean, again, it's the the filmmaking. I, I think is really good. I mean, the, the only I had a couple of parts where like I could tell it was rear projection and it looked awkward. Like um, to get some of the scenes from like old Vegas. I read about this afterwards, but I definitely noticed it while watching. It's like, oh, this looks really kind of fake and phony. You know, like in the 30s and 40s when you'd see people driving a car, they'd use rear yeah. projection. So they did that a couple like, of times. Yeah, where they were behind the wheel of a car, it was clear like for like it was like one, it was like two scenes maybe. Where you could see like they were in like a fake car and there was rear projection and at the time they were like walking outside for an establishment shot in like old Vegas and it looked a little wonky. But drugs are really tough to do in movies. I, I can't think of very many movies that get it even close to right based on my very, very limited experience and exposure to that kind of stuff. Um, and this does as good a job as any movie I can think about doing it because it's very, very difficult. Usually drugs are played for comedy for a scene and then they forget that they're on drugs anymore and they, it goes away. And this, they seem to really get a lot about. But like you know, sometimes the in movies, the they, they smoke pot and all of a sudden they're hallucinating spiders on the wall. Right, like, and then it goes bullshit. away. 
Like I have comedy, pot. right? That is not fucking how it is. You know what I mean? Right, but right, this right, movie, right. like I've never done so mescaline. I imagine, or I've never like sniffed ether. Like I bet that does some and weird I, I, shit. And the to voiceover you. was really helpful. I mean, we needed that voiceover explaining what's happening. That was really key. A lot of that voiceover. The voiceover was normally. I'm not a big fan of voiceover, but the voiceover in this movie was absolutely you, spot. You couldn't if you took out the voiceover. This movie would be unintelligible and it'd be like un- unwatchable. You couldn't figure it, out. What's it going really on. guides you. It really guides you. You really needed to articulate what's happening in their mind. But no, I'm saying they get it right. They they take it serious, even though. It, it, I guess it's played up for laughs or it's kind of comedic. Cause look at these guys, I guess being dopes and being silly and look how goofy or messed up they are. I, I don't know, but I mean, we think it gets, it really gets it correct. They're the weird mindsets are there like weird suicidal thoughts and just other, other crazy weird thoughts. Like, Oh, I'm going to buy a chimpanzee. Like that's a thought you would have on drugs. Like I'm going to buy a monkey who would honestly think about doing that. Just, I mean, you wouldn't, nobody would just buy a monkey in a sober state of mind. That's a, you're really messed up and you do that. It, it gets it really, really well. And, and one of the things I did love um, is that the second time they get really crazy messed up because they trash one hotel room and he's trying to get to LA to finish writing and get stuff done. Um, and even after all that, he decides he needs to do it a second time. Uh, but I liked in the second time he ended up like strapping a tape recorder to his body. I mean, it's such a thing you would do in like the sixties or seventies to record everything. Happy. You wouldn't, have to do that now you could just record on your phone but he literally tapes a big old you might, tape you, might tape to your, chest. you might tape your iphone to your chest yeah i guess yeah. you could it'd be more comfortable than a whole tape recorder so he gets to record some of the things that happen afterwards and he hears the tape and here's some of the stuff he did in a scene that did make me think of hangover um but far more depressing and not just played for silly laughs but like oh yeah they did some really horrible stuff. Like, yeah, it starts with them trying to buy a chimpanzee or whatever, and then ends with them at a diner and basically threatening a woman with a knife. Um, and that's another thing. Like, I mean, you can fail to change the world as a hippie. You can have been wrong in your dreams and been delusional thinking the drugs would change, but you could be delusional and not just be an out and out awful person to people and not threaten a woman at a diner. Uh, I don't know if that, if that's where the metaphor goes that, that ultimately the, Hippies are sociopaths threatening people with knives, I guess. But um, the the drug movement, the hippie movement, can be a failure with, uh, and still you know have to be terrible. Because yeah, I mean that 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 is a key scene, and I get why you like it. Because to me, it's it's a sober, it, it's a sober. I, I note. don't like it to be to be clear. Like I fucking hate that scene in the movie. But looking well, back on, yeah, yeah, I, th- well, I think the, it's, the impor- I think I like it's it important. Is, well, right, exactly, because that makes it harder to look at this and say. Wow, it was all just fun. They were just getting messed up in Vegas, having a good time, just a couple of buds getting getting messed up. How silly right. and fun is that? It, it shows the seriousness and a sense of consequence. Dark, dark-sided, a bad drug trip. Yeah, not not, but not for them. That's the, of course, the big thing where it's more frustrating is if they ended up in jail, um, having horrible withdrawal. Uh, this would probably change my view of the experience if I if I watched them do that. Um, Instead, yeah, it ends there with, were zero consequences for that. They said Hunter S. Thompson drives through a fence, which is, you could only do in 1971, directly to a plane. You do that in 2022, and you're going to maybe get shot. At least you're going to be arrested and go to jail for a long time. Um, it's just crazy. Yeah, literally drives like they, they missed the turn and they go into, they drive through a fence right up to the plane so Benicio del Toro doesn't miss his, his flight. Um, 
And it was crazy. So did, wait, a side note, did Benicio Toro fly back to L.A. between the two trips and then back to Las Vegas? Yeah, it's it's a big flaw in the movie. It, so apparently the 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 race that he covers and then the like prosecutors criminal justice uh, conference were were literally two different events that happened year, like maybe even a year apart. They were they were different instances. But they both occurred in Las Vegas. And so for the movie, and I think part of the book, I'm I'm just going to start reading the book. I haven't read the book. But they kind of melded them, for the movie specifically, melded them into, like, one kind of sequence. Because, yeah, it's weird because he, you know, Benicio leaves and he's like, you fuck, you left. And then he comes back and then he drives in the airport, like, a second time. There's, like, two different where he goes to the airport and comes back. He calls him from a payphone in Bakersfield, California. And it presumably... Yeah. Benicio answers at his office, and then Benicio's also already and at the hotel back. room. And in yeah. the span of a few hours, and I get that checking in a flight in well, Vegas was to less, LA is a couple hour yeah, drive. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. It was just very vague and weird. But um, it no, is it weird is that he little, goes and comes back, and then they do the thing. They do like two different things in this movie. It is a little weird, but but apparently that is what happened. Is Hunter S was hired to cover both of those events and then kind of loop them into the one book. Well, I mean, and one of the things I liked the best was when he, he's, he's, this is where I, I I was able to, to not be annoyed at other people's behalf when like, he's got the cocaine on his nose and he walks past all these cops at this like prosecutor drug convention thing. Like how do we get more drug users? And then it shows a video or the guys talking and he's just way out of touch. Um, but then then there's that one scene where maybe he's not out of touch because there's a talk about how much drug users masturbate or something. And he looks at his pants. That that, that really worked. Um, yeah. There's like a bit of self-reflection and also contradiction because the cops didn't know what they were talking about at all. Um, it showed this massive disconnect between two parts of America, which which resonated. That that landed with I him. thought you'd like I thought you'd like that part. No, I did. It, it, it did. I mean, and there are parts of this movie I like. I just soundtrack. Can't enjoy. Soundtrack. Did you think the soundtrack oh, was good? Because I love I love the music in this movie. Of course, Jefferson Airplane is incredible. I love Surrealistic Pillow is great. Um, you, so, you play those two tracks, Somebody to Love and um, White Rabbit. I mean, you're gonna. It's got it's got time. Tom Jones. You got some Vegas shit in there. Oh, some old school Vegas stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I read this thing on Wikipedia, which is kind of interesting. So the movie ends where he's t- uh, Hunter S is driving out of Vegas with his second convertible, and Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones is playing. And I love the way this movie ends. He's smiling. He's kind of talking. You know, there's a voice. He's over. like, "Look at me. I just, yeah. I just wrote the Great American Novel. I did a bunch of horrible stuff, and it didn't matter. No consequences. No consequences. I'm what- awesome. I'm cool. People wish they were me. Uh, but <laughs> apparently. So Gilliam, Terry Gilliam wanted the movie to end with sympathy for the devil because apparently in the book he writes he mentioned about, a line. He reads he read about no sympathy for the devil. He, no sympathy. There was a but, line in the movie. But uh, he references that song quite a bit in the book, and so they wanted three hundred thousand dollars to sure. play at the end of the movie, sympathy for the devil, and and that was half the soundtrack budget for the movie. So they had a six hundred thousand dollar soundtrack budget for this movie and he didn't want to pay half of it for for sympathy for oh, the devil sure. 
But that blew my mind that, that, okay, not only is this movie, which costs, I think, like $18 million, something like yeah, that. relatively cheap. A small budget movie. But they had a $600,000 music budget, and the Rolling Stones wanted half of that shit for Sympathy for the Devil. That's what it costs to have that song in your movie. That, like, yeah, that movie, blew my mind. Oh, see, I, I, I've never heard the specific numbers before, but I've heard many filmmakers say, like... In 1998... Music, Music, well, it's always been very, very expensive. Uh, you know, you want like a pop song in your movie, it's going to be very expensive. It's so not going to be so cheap. So he, he decided to go with Jumpin' Jack Flash, a cheaper Rolling Stones song, which it, I fuck, I think it's great. I think it works. Yeah, it's but fine. Sympathy for the Devil with Vegas, That I mean, that would have worked better. I, you know, I see why he wanted that. I just couldn't believe that's how much it costs. But like, this, you, you got Bob Dylan on the soundtrack. No, the soundtrack's um, great. I, it's it, a great it, soundtrack. And the movie, again, captured... I mean, I wasn't alive in, in Vegas in 1971, but boy, does it feel like everything I've ever heard about old school Vegas. Um, it does just really look a time and place. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I like the filmmaking quite a lot in this. I, don't, I mean, I don't have a real flaw with the filmmaking. I mean, I thought Terry Gillen did an awesome job. I, mean, I don't know how else you'd film a movie like this. I don't know how you could pull off a movie like that any better, realistically. Would you like it more if it was just two guys having a fucking great time, getting fucked up in Vegas, if they didn't treat people poorly, if they didn't weren't assholes, if they didn't do all the like dark stuff that happens in this movie? Correct. It was just like you would like this movie more, right? Right. So, so when they're on drugs and not being actively awful to people, just kind of weird – like when he checks in i'm like oh yeah that's intimidating the woman's face turns into an eel um every he just like humanity's reduced this to being man, just bizarre reptiles from a weak heart <laughs> and there's weird little like one-liners they say to people and, and it's okay they're just being weird what's the score when, what happens next but when people are actively having their lives they're either their day or their lives ruined i can't just think this is just fun uh you know it, it then it becomes something else um, when they're messing with each other, it's fine. Like when they're fighting each other off and there's weird like back and forth and paranoia and stay away from me, man. Or when he's just in the hotel room and he's watching footage from Vietnam and it feels like the helicopters are there and he feels like he's getting bombed. That stuff all works and it's interesting and it's kind of funny and weird. And it really captures, I think, something about, you know, drug use and, and what happens to people on drugs. That's interesting. But when I see a, a, a clean woman having a knife put to her neck, I'm kind of like, okay, uh, that's, it's not funny to me that they're lying, that she's a, that they're secret agents or something. And they're going to pay her a thousand dollars a month. Or there's, here's this like girl woman in the hotel room. There's people not getting paid. I mean, people that are getting stiffed at these bars, it's not like the casino that's having to eat that that's going out of like the person's tips. Um, that, that little person that didn't get paid, he probably took a dip in his pay that day because there was somebody with a big bill that didn't pay. And I think, oh, I, I feel bad for those people. Um, that's what's in my head. So it makes it less fun because I think of all the dire consequences. And I, I don't care about people thinking they're weird. That's interesting. And people walking around being weird is, that's fine. You know, people having weird hangups or just being wrong is fine. But People are actively screwed over in this movie. Have you ever been to – you've been to Las Vegas, right? I have, but yes, obviously this is like 
Do you find it a a dark, depressing place? Oh, it isn't anymore. Um, It's changed. You don't think it is? Well, I don't like Vegas. Sorry. Vegas is absurd, and when you're there, I can't help thinking how absurd it is that there's a city in the middle of the desert. Every time I'm there, when like, you fly in, you just you're desert, and then you see this fucking lights well, everywhere. I, I drove in. I didn't fly. But oh, I, you've yeah. driven. You've driven. You've done the like the drive from this movie. You've been uh, Des Moines, Des Moines, Des Moines to L.A. Yes, I I, I have done it. Um, ah, okay. What was that uh, like? It's weird. I mean, you go through Utah and you pass a sign that says next rest area 106 miles, and you're like, oh, then I can't get off. Desert- Yes, it's everywhere. just rocks and sand. You're like, oh, I can't. I, there's not going to be a gas station or anything for 106 miles. I've, that's how that's how far I'm going to wow. go without anything. That's as scary. desolate as Iowa might be, there's places to stop all over the place. It's boring cornfield, but you know there's vegetation and people around. Most places you'd go, you're not going to drive. A, there's a town. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. drive an hour and a half and not see anybody. You're looking at this. You're like, oh man, there's are so many places where. If somebody murdered me and put my body out here, nobody would ever find it. I mean, you're just like crazy stuff. And that's Utah. And then you get to Vegas, or then you get to Nevada, and then you start getting like the really cheap outlier hotels that aren't in Vegas proper. They're cheaper, and they're just trying to get people who, I guess, just are just looking for a casino. They don't actually want to go to Vegas. I don't know. And then you slowly get to the city, and you're like, oh, this is an out-and-out city in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't make sense. Um, and casinos are depressing. When you go inside a casino, it's depressing. But when you're like walking up the strip, it's mostly just drunk people kind of happy and then like weirdos trying to get you to get women to come to your room and do all sorts of messed up stuff. Um, but mostly it's like buffets and shows and it's ritzy. You know, we, I saw Penn and Teller in Vegas. It was really fun. Uh, um, Penn's in this movie. He's in he the, is. He's the, he's the yeah, one of the carnival barkers and, for sure. Yeah. One of my but, favorite parts of this movie, where they're in the like circus casino, the circus circus, jump, yeah. Jump, the part where where Benicio's so fucked up he can't get off this. Yeah, thing. that was another one. Like hilarious. I that. Yeah. Absolutely then, hilarious. Then then he kicks him and he's like, "Some guy kicked me. Who can't believe it? Somebody kicked me." Quick, like a bunny. He's yeah. like, "Turn this thing off." He's like, "It's nobody's turning it off. It's yeah. not getting turned off. You just just be brave. You can do it off of this yeah. very very slow moving carousel that's you know again you could easily." walk off but it was too intimidating when there's, there's a woman fucking a camel over there don't tell me these things like he's so fucked up don't tell me these things yeah that that see that that's when it was kind of fun and that's when it was like oh okay yeah they're they're being weird and confusing but well yeah that's the part of the movie yeah like that that's like part of my 20s i can't can't separate that well it's, it's fine i mean uh but um but yeah vegas is it's a weird place but vegas has had a makeover since the 70s right like you know vegas yeah. is way more like bring your bring your kids see shows there's stuff for kids to do tons of great food we've got some of the best chefs come to vegas i mean it's still bizarre it shouldn't exist it's it it's so inefficient and absurd. but there's there's still that come put your money down the american dream you put a little money you can win big and you can become rich there's still a bit of that, and the movie that's isn't the, even a that's little bit this, about gambling, though. They see almost no, the, but it's the, the search, the search for the American dream, the search for who, the poor who's guy. Who's searching be, for the American? Who are the people searching we for the American all dream? Are. In this movie? We all are. But in the context Us. of the movie, who who is searching for the just every human ever on Earth that's in yeah, America? Americans. Okay. We go to okay. Vegas. The you know he talks about this movie doesn't look the at used car else. salesmen were just where all these people come from at 4:30 a.m. on a Sunday. 
Oh, girl. I just like that. I like the stuff where he's making observations. Like, that's genuinely interesting. Have like, you not I, been to a casino and thought the same thing? Like, where the fuck do these people come from at 4.30 a.m. on a Sunday? No, like, I, I hadn't thought of it before, but but then I, I saw Hunter S. Thompson have those thoughts. I was like, oh, good, this is profound. Now I can have his thoughts. I, I see yes, what you did there. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I've been in, like, uh, Riverside. There's a casino in Riverside. I went there once. I've been to Riverside depressing. many times. It's You it's can throw craps at Riverside. Sure, but it's depressing. But it's like a big circle. It's one of the few places where smoking is allowed, and you see people just sitting there comatose. I've been at poker tables where you see somebody who barely knows how to play poker, and they're desperate for human connection, and they sit there, um, and then like they're just giving money away just to be vaguely in the vicinity of people. And it's like, oh, my God, there's got to be some better way for you to connect. You're losing money. It's clear that you're desperate to just have conversation. That's what's happening here. Um, no, it's of course it's very very. That's depressing. what this movie's capturing. I think. I just I disagree that there's very little of that. There's not nearly enough for my taste of, of show me what's going on. Um, you know, humanize these people. You've got really keen powers of observations. You really articulate, articulate. Tell me what's going on and what's happening. Like, I want to hear your voice more. I don't want to just see you. I mean, I don't care that the drug stuff is fine. They capture it well, but I also want to hear your voice. I, I probably would like the novel a lot better than the movie. I'm guessing if I ever were to read it, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more. Um, hearing more of his words than just than just him being messed up or saying insane stuff to people. Um, scaring the bejesus out of people. Because yeah, that, that part where it's like, yeah, there, you'd be surprised how many used car salesmen are playing poker at 4.30 on Sunday morning. Like, yeah, okay, that was, that was a very quick observation. I like that. Maybe I'll have to give the book a try. Maybe I'm being a little too harsh. I just I, bought. I just bought it. I'm definitely going to read it. Yep. That, I mean, that was a bit. It, it was hard for me to look back and think. Well, uh, some of those drug scenes are stressful too, because I can imagine how stressed I would be in that situation. But then, I also have trouble not empathizing for the people, and the worst is, of course, the woman in the diner who gets her body ridiculed. That, that she scene up for herself, and then. Benicio de Toro threatens her. That is, scene is wow. hard. It's hard to to, to reconcile. I, 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 I'm I, I, so confused. I think you don't like it because it, it it harshes your vibe. I think it harshes your mellow. It bums me out. Bums you Correct. out big time. And, and what's more is Benicio de Toro gets a really nice send off. He gets a really romantic send off. He's a unique creature. He's too weird to live and too amazing it's to die. It's a beautiful quote. Yeah, it's a beautiful. But quote. But he gets that almost right after. I mean, it's like a couple of scenes after that horrible exchange where he treats the the you know server just one like of god's or, creatures yeah and gives him and it's it's clearly he admires him um and i guess he's a journalist so he can't get involved or whatever that weird cop out is um but i think it's important that it's in there but yeah i get why you wouldn't like it it bums you out it makes it less fun you think oh i can't just view this as a silly fun hey we're getting crazy in vegas woo we're trashing a hotel room. Um, I mean, like when I see all the water in the final scene, I appreciate that he's sitting there writing. Like that's part I appreciate. But then I look at the hotel room, like people have to clean that up. People are going to have to, other people's job have to clean up his mess. He's apparently not having to pay for the hotel room and he's not having to clean it up. Um, and they did all this awful stuff. And it's like, man, I just feel bad for whoever has to clean it up. I was like, like that room is trashed. Uh, and maybe it's heightened and maybe it wasn't really that bad. Maybe that's just lingering drugs or making it look worse. Who knows? But
All right, Eric. So it's going to be that time. Time to tell the people what we think. You put a number. You, this, this thing that took lots of, of people hours to make. Just give it a quick number. And tell us why you gave it that number. You're All right. So, so my letterbox rating on this movie uh, so out of five stars, you can on Letterbox, you can do out of five stars, and you can do half stars. I gave it a four. Um, it, you know, like I said when I introduced it, it's a movie that meant so much to me in my twenties. I wanted to rate it higher. I think the the dark scenes were always the parts of the movie that I disliked. So, like I said, normally we'd get like twenty minutes in the movie and we'd turn it off because we were, you know too intoxicated or it was just the end of the night kind of thing. And so watching the whole movie through, like there are towards the latter third of the movie, there's a lot of dark scenes and and I had a hard time with those. And I've always had a hard time with those scenes. Those are always the parts of the movie I didn't like. Cause I think you can't reconcile it being about a fun, cool trip at, with the actual awfulness of the people doing it, the tripping. I think that exactly you're that, to do that. That's exactly right. A hundred percent. Right. But I, I, and then the, when I step away from it and I think about it more, I kind of appreciate those scenes. I kind of appreciate the fact that, like, you know, those parts of the movie reflect more about what it's like to be high on crazy ass psychedelic drugs and like what that really does to you and how you have some bad trips and how that shit kind of fucks you up a little bit and you do some weird things that you're not going to be okay with. It's perfectly and, understandable, justifiable. And, and I think, and I think. If you cut that stuff out of the movie, you would say a little bit like, okay, go get go get high, go to Vegas, have a good time. There's no consequences. And I think the parts of this movie where you see them do dark things make you realize, like, no, no, that that's not what it's about. Like, that's the point of the 60s LSD drug culture. Like, there were consequences. These people destroy their lives. They got super, super high on drugs and didn't do anything with their lives. They didn't accomplish anything. They didn't change the world in any meaningful way. They destroyed themselves. And that's what drugs can do to you. And I think that's what this movie does really well. And so I'd give it a four. I God, I want to give it higher. Honestly, I wanted to give it a five star. I really, oh, wow. when, this, when this movie started and it's, you know, uh, somewhere out of bar soul, Jarf started to take hold. I, I was can like, see it. It's I a great like, way to start. I was like, five stars. I was like, five stars. It's a great stars. way to start a movie or not. I agree. We can't stop here. It's a bad country. You got, you got Spider-Man wanting to jump in the car. I'm like, five stars. This is a five-star movie. And then it start, starts to starts to drift into this part where I'm like, oh, shit. This is dark stuff. And then you got you got Christina Ricci making, was it Bette Midler or not? So not Barbara Streisand. Barbara she Streisand. Exclusively Barbara Streisand portraits. I was like, this is so dark. She's too young, and this is weird, and you're getting this young girl hot, high on LSD, and that's dark. And so it just starts dropping stars, dropping stars. And then, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, and, then, and then when you think about how big of assholes they are and jerks, that, that's, where I, that's where I land on four stars. So. Okay. Well, I appreciate your your love of this movie. It clearly resonated with you more then and now. Um, I might have, I mean, I saw it when I was younger and I liked it. I might have aged out of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And it's not because the filmmaking is bad. I mean, this is, I, I've said this before, I, I don't know how Terry Gilliam could have 
real, realistically done a better job. It's, it, it captures a time and place really well. Eric is typing. Well, I was just going to see what, the, what on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's not really thought of as like 49% it's, on it's Rotten Tomatoes. It's split down the road. A lot of people love it. A lot of people yeah. hate it. Uh, critics don't love this movie. Some do. Well, that's the thing. Like, if you uh, look audience at the audience scores 89%. Well, sure. People that are big fans of drug use and partying watch this movie and love it. Um, if you don't care about drugs, you probably aren't watching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. But yeah, I might I might have just aged out. I love the filmmaking. I, I look at this and think I, you couldn't. I I couldn't figure out how you'd make it a better version of this. But the part of like, hey, let's go have get messed up on drugs and, and have a good time. That's there, but there's too much other stuff going on, and I, I appreciate that it's in there. That it's not just have a good consequence free time. I, the metaphor for me doesn't land quite the way it does for you because Benicio del Toro's character is a lunatic from the get-go. I mean, he's absolutely insane, and he has no pretense of doing anything other than just getting messed up for the sake of getting messed up. The idea that like it's a metaphor for the hippie movement in general doesn't work because there's there's no like oh we're gonna I mean okay Hunter maybe wants to get messed up to write better get some weird ideas okay but mostly they're just doing it to get messed up and I'm like I'm gonna transform the world. That's already come and gone. They're at this point just doing it to get messed up um, for their own self-gratification. And it gets the drug use right, but man, it, it bums me out and it gets me frustrated. Even the trivial interactions that are really short, I, I think keep thinking about other people's what's happening with them. I, I can't shake that. Um, I'm sure it'd be fun to go get messed up with your buddy in Vegas in 1971 um, if you knew you weren't going to get in any trouble. But I mean, they, they should have. They were putting a lot of people's lives in danger. Now you can call me a narc or Sam being self-righteous. It's fine, but I can't shake those thoughts as I'm watching this. It's like, oh man, these guys, they're making a lot of frustrating, terrible decisions. Like they're taking acid in the desert as they're driving into Las Vegas. That's it's not really a cool choice. That's an insane choice. Like take acid, but don't drive. No, like, well, they're just taking acid. They're fucking snorting cocaine sure. and doing mescaline. And drinking yeah. a case of beer, like while while driving, yes, they're, yes. they're out of their minds, and and that wouldn't be fun to me anymore. Maybe it seemed cool in my twenties, but I think of that, and I think, okay, I'm gonna like ruin my life and ruin my family's life if I do that. I'm not gonna get away scot free uh, from all that, and it sounds more stressful than fun. Uh, you know, like I wouldn't have a good time doing that anymore. But the bigger thing is that, yeah, I just think, okay, I have trouble viewing these as people that are even there's even a pretense of chivalry or nobility and that's fine that was hunter s thompson's thing was excess that was a big part of who he was and his writing style and i haven't read his stuff so maybe i should give it a go but i was just like man i i don't like these guys from the get-go i'm like i'm not having fun with buddies i'm like these guys are jerks they're at best being annoying but at worst like scaring the piss out of people threatening them with knives I mean, yeah, there's the whole elevator scene where the guy gets threatened by Benicio Del Toro. This big fucker. I read the big fuckers. And then somebody, I mean, it's like, am I supposed to view that as funny? Is that a funny scene? It's played for comedy. Like it's the door I think it's funny. We, we used to just clown on that scene the whole time. Uh, yeah, I guess because you identified with the drug users and not the, the squares and the elevator who were being threatened. But maybe somebody being threatened with a knife. I don't know. Like, funny? Because <laughs> like, they don't matter? Those people in the elevator don't matter because they're squares? No, it's psychotic. What he does to those people is absolutely so then what's funny about it? 
nothing really. I mean, if you think if you think about it in a rational sense, it's not funny well, at all. I, I guess I have trouble not it's, doing it. It's this. criminal, mostly what he does to those people. It's a fucking crime what he commits. So he I just, threatens I just to like, stab them. I, yeah, I, I don't know. So I, maybe if I were, I I just like. I, I can't just identify with the drug use because if you identify from their perspective and you so, dehumanize everybody else, then let it's me like just, kind of funny because their perspective just, doesn't matter. Ha I'm threatening this guy with a knife. There's a theory that Benicio Del Toro doesn't exist. Like he, he's not a real person. That's it's fine. A, I don't care if there's a fight. It's a complete fig, figment of it's his a, imagination. First of all, that's a lame cop out because it was based on a real person who actually existed. And that's a pathetic, lame cop-out yes. to say it's Fight Club. But Fight Club made theory. it very clear. I don't care. The theory is dumb. If you came up with that, if you came up with that there, if you think I Jesus didn't come made up, up it. I know, I know you didn't. But if you're on the internet and you think this is, no, I think he made up and he chose the throw. You're an idiot. You're dumb. I don't. That's a stupid perspective. I anyway. It's uh, like, like Oscar Zeta Acosta is the real guy. He was like a lawyer. Yeah, he was a Mexican, but they hid his identity, so he made yeah. him some generally Samoan. I mean, I read the Wikipedia page too. Um, I don't know. I, anyway, I, I, two and a half is my rating. This is a long wow, way. Wow, that's low. That's fucking. Low, I can't man. enjoy it. This is my subjective rating. It's my opinion. Whatever, man. It's my opinion. I can't have. I can't have fun with the movie. I can't enjoy it. I just feel bad most of the time and stressed out. And not in a good way. I, I, you know, and it's played comedically. Even did, did you ever like this movie? I would have, if you would ask me in, uh, let's say 2005, I probably would have been like three and a half. So it and has I, changed since you got older. Oh yeah, I said this. I, I, I yeah. led with. I think I've aged out of this a bit. Uh, it's hard for me to not think the other people that aren't treated like real people in the movie are actually real people who had to experience the other side of this. And and I'm not talking about the people who had experience in being weird and getting his like cigarette lit at their table or whatever I, or I love defying, that scene. he's not like exclusively defying convection convention you know it's not like i'm just these people are square and they have stupid hang-ups about stuff there's a, some of that in there but some of it's like people should want to not be threatened with knives uh, a woman whose job is to clean your hotel room shouldn't be tackled and shouldn't be on top of her with a knife 18 year old should be able to or 16 or old christina ricci is should be able to not like be given lsd and by some predatory lunatic. Um, that's not just social conventions. That's just like, okay, you're being a piece of shit. It's not, look at these fucking squares in the early 70s having hangups. That was the cop part of that. That that resonated. I like the part where the cop got screwless screaming out, police chief from Michigan. I mean, that, that's great. But anyway, two and a half. It just didn't, didn't work for me. Did you think anything was funny in this? Did you laugh at all in this I, movie? I, I don't know that I laughed. I smiled at some of the parts when it was, again, like when it you was don't just think this is not a reasonable place to park. You can't park here. This is a sidewalk. You like you don't think that's funny at all. So I guess what's funny is that like this guy's guy so job fucked is to up. Make... He, this guy's so fucked up. He's pulling to a Vegas hotel and he just parks on the sidewalk. And the guy's like, you can't park here. And he's like, why? Is this not a reasonable place to park? He's like, no, it's the goddamn sidewalk. The joke is that they're so messed up that they just don't even care about the pretense of where to park. That's what's funny. What other pretenses are funny to to not have when you're on drugs? Oh, is it not reasonable for me to put a knife in your neck? Is this unreasonable for me to get a little far. Oh, but I'm taking the logic of that scene. I mean, the guy is just trying to get the car parked, and he has a job to, like, you know, and then... It's just funny that he doesn't care. 
and then this car isn't towed. It'd be funny to me if his car was towed. It probably like, okay. was. It, it must have been towed. He's not going to leave it there. He gets the car back sidewalk. later. They never, the car is always there when they need it. Nobody, the car is never missing. He didn't have to say, oh, shoot, now, because I made a stupid decision earlier, I have to go get my car somewhere else. Then they go back to the car and they leave. There's zero consequences at any point. If their own stupid choice led them to have so to So if this later, was just a comedy, if it was just like, dude, where's my car or the hangover, you would like it more? Is that is that fair to say? Sure, sure. Or if you acknowledged that these people are more jerks. It plays, almost all of the movies played up comedically, really except for the scene at the diner. That's the only scene that's not played for straight up like comedy. It's, it's not like cartoony and kind of goofy and weird. Um, that's oh, the, it's like. the Benicio suicide's pretty dark. It's, that's totally cartoonish. He's like, oh, you want me to drop this when White Rabbit peaks? Okay. And he holds like a grapefruit. He's holding a grapefruit and then and then he chucks the grapefruit at his head. No, but, but, ben, for... but Benicio wants him to throw the thing in the back. But he doesn't take it serious. I'm talking about the tone of the movie. Benicio del Toro might have been serious. The, like the, the character in the scene might have been serious. But the way it's played as a movie is comedic. It, it's totally bizarre. It's through, uh, you know, Hunter S. Thompson's eyes, and it's just so goofy. And he hits him with a grapefruit and then runs out the room. And this bizarre, like, almost like he hit him with a spitball. I mean, it's it's just goofy. I don't. They don't treat that as serious. They don't take Benicio del Toro's suicidal urges seriously. Neither does does Hunter S. Thompson doesn't in that that scene. It's not like I'm going to take this seriously. Like you're just being fucked up on drugs. So whatever. I'm not going to actually drop this tape recorder into the water and kill you. I'm just gonna hit you with a great one. One right, white rabbit peaks. Is that is that not how you want to go out? I'd go out like that. I'd be okay with that. So right now, is that how you'd like to go out here? <laughs> is that is this a confession? Do we need I'm to get you help? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, I, if I'm like 80 in, in or something, hotel, there's like weird shit floating in the bathtub. That's I, I don't want to. Yeah, because he's been sitting there festering dark. for a long that's time. A, that's a dark scene. I, it's one of those parts parts of the movie where like it's not played. I, I don't think it's played dark. It's I think not it's played funny. Light. But it's not funny to you me. You think you're hitting him with the grapefruit is funny? It's 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 comical, but it's dark. It's comical well, it's but a, dark. This whole thing's a dark comedy. It's not. I mean, this isn't like, you know, a screwball romantic comedy from the 1930s. But everything's played as dark comedy again, except for the diner scene. That's the only time where things really feel real for a second, where somebody else other than and that's part of I think why it also yeah, it's the the server at the diner is treated like a real person who actually has feelings and thoughts in that scene and it makes it less fun. Oh, she's terrified. It's, it's so, I know, but you don't, nobody else's emotions are treated seriously throughout the entire rest of the movie. Christina Ricci's are kind of like, not really. It's like, dude, Dude, like you, you gave this girl LSD. Like this is. He wants to get rid of could, her. He, he tells her he could hang for it. I know you he wants to get rid of her though. The whole joke is that he wants calm to write in the hotel room. And they want to get rid of her. Again, it's dark. What's happening is actually dark. But there's a comedic tone over it all. That's what I'm saying. There's a, a comedy layer over all the So you didn't stuff. like this movie. You you don't like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't really work for me in the okay. way that it apparently works for you. You seem to just resonate on the comedy surface and the fact that no. there's darkness all the time. It, I can't escape the darkness. The comedy just doesn't play. And the only time when they get rid of when the comedy veil is peeled off and they take the comedy mask off and just play the darkness underneath, that's the scene you like the least. That's the scene where you're like, oh, this is making me uncomfortable. Absolutely. And and if they but, played it that way. I love that it makes me uncomfortable. 
Well, it should if it didn't make you uncomfortable. If you were like, oh, there's so something funny. wrong with you. Yeah. You know, you need to enjoy. She's just getting the he's just getting a lemon meringue pie. I don't know what you're talking about. He paid for it. <laughs> yeah, that would be messed up if you thought that. But I also the comedy doesn't land when I'm just thinking about all the darkness and the people being actual people, even when it's comedy. I don't think somebody getting threatened with a knife in that context is funny or some poor like valet who's not a rich person. I mean, you can attack capitalism all you want, but this it's just some guy, some schlub who has to deal with Hunter S. Thompson's choice and Hunter S. Thompson didn't have to deal with it at all in, you know, in the movie. And so it made it very difficult for me to enjoy. Um, because the only way you can enjoy it is to disregard those other people, I think, throughout the movie. You have to just think about it from we're just being fun and silly and ridiculous, and it's lighthearted, and there's no meaningful consequences. And that's how the humor lands, because they're just so messed up and absurd. But all those people that he screws over, I, I can't think of them as not actual people um, in the movie. Anyway, that's me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm, this is not a movie I would just sit down and watch ever again. It's not, not that for me. All right, All right. Sh- should we transition to the five degrees of oh, field of dreams? Transition? Should we transition? I have had some alcohol. I'm I know. not going to lie. Good. I shouldn't. I shouldn't give you grief. I was too cowardly to do more than just one beer. Um, uh, should, should, should I breathalyze myself? See where we're at. Yeah, come on. I hope you're at a point two. It says point one four. There's no way that's right. You're less drunk than you were before. I have. I have gone less drunk. That's not accurate. Okay, um, Ben Lewis. <laughs> The five degrees of feel the dreams. It's the trademark of our podcast. It's the thing people come back to. What you're going to do is you're going to take the movie we picked, which is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and you're going to connect that back to feel the dreams, the greatest Iowa sports movie of all time. You're going to do it in five total movies. So you're basically picking three movies to connect actors to. Ben, would you like to go first? I can go first if you want, but would no, you I'll like go to go first? It's fine. I'm not super impressed with my work this time, so I'll just get mine away. Hopefully you've taught my mine. Um, so Fear and Little in Las Vegas, we get a, a – I like this a lot. We get a bit part from, from the musician Flea. Oh, from Red shit. Hot Chili Peppers. Holy shit. I think we might have had the same thing. Go ahead. So Flea is a – in like 65 in Berkeley or you know, San Francisco, somewhere in California. He's at a club. In the bathroom. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson does LSD for the first time and he spills someone a sleeve. And a hippie comes in, he's like, What's the trouble, mister? And like literally licks the acid off of his sleeve. And some see this was this was really funny. Uh, uh, this this was maybe one of the parts I did laugh at, or at least I I chuckled to myself a lot. Uh, and then some guy in a business suit came into the bathroom and saw just a man licking another man's sleeve and was super uncomfortable with it. But but that man was flea, you know, again of, of red hot chili peppers. Um, so Flea, <laughs> uh, Flea is in a movie uh, I used to love more. It's 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 now my second favorite Back to the Future movie, Back to the Future Part Two. He is uh, the rival to um, Marty McFly, and he's the one that's like, "What are you, McFly? Chicken? That's that's him in Back to the Future Part Two. Um, Back to the Future Part Two actually has a lot of people in it, then really small roles. I, this is where maybe I don't know I don't know if you went Back to the Future Part Two, Eric, but then. A lot of little bit parts, but there's uh, they're at a future 20, I think 2015 arcade, and uh, they're trying to play some old-fashioned arcade machine, and the, the kids of 2015 can't figure it out because it's so archaic. 
And one of those kids is, uh, you know, like Marty McFly comes in and he he knows how to do it. It's a shooting game. And they're like, oh, you use your hands. It's kid stuff. One of those kids is Elijah Wood. Um, he's he's in that movie in that scene. And Elijah Wood, here's where I'll be really shocked if you pick this movie. Elijah Wood is in a movie called North. North is a movie that it really resonated with a young Ben Lewis in 1994. Um, Elijah Wood plays some super awesome kid and his parents, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Jason Alexander, they ignore him. And he's Wait, like, you know what? hold on a second. His parents are both Elaine and George from Seinfeld? Correct, correct, correct. No I'm shit. If, if, if I do nothing else, if I bring this movie to your attention, Eric, I, I, nothing wow. else. Wow, wow. Uh, because there's a lot of insanely big names in this movie. The amount of people in this movie is is bonkers. So Elijah Wood, he decides he's going to disown his parents because his parents don't appreciate him. He's a great kid, straight A student, great, and his parents don't pay attention to him. And he's sick of it. He's had enough. Well, he meets this guy who's played by Bruce Willis. Um, you know, Bruce Willis, who, you know, sadly retiring from acting, if you like, yeah. you just got to note that. Um, Bruce Willis is like, hey, I know where you can go. There's an exchange where you can pick your own set of parents. And it's this weird back alley, diagon you're, alley. You're thing. making all of this up. I am this not making not it up. This is not real. He, or, or, um, no, maybe I'm mixing that up with a different movie, but he gets to pick his parents. No, 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 I'm, I'm mixing it up with another. Let me, let me, let me renege on that. So we're going to do it. He is actually so great that at some point he gets branded as being a great kid. Uh, and all these parents write him in and want to be his parents. He's such a stellar kid that all these people want to adopt him. And at one point he gets adopted by this family in Texas and big paw is played by Dan Aykroyd. He, he keeps hopping around. All the, all the parents um, okay. fail him, and he ends up you know, not appreciating him. There's a whole bunch. You look at the cast list for the movie North sometime, Eric. You, you'll be shocked about all the Oscar winners and famous people that are in this random kids movie that you never saw in 1994. Um, anyway, so I, I mixed the plot up. He, he just ends up getting – I don't know if he gets an article published about him, but somebody gets – Bruce Willis gets the word out that, that Elijah Wood is you know, up for adoption, and he's such a great kid. And so he just keeps trying out all these other parents. And uh, anyway, Dan Aykroyd plays the the father of the this Texas father. They like everything big in Texas. And, you know, I'm doing it again. I don't care how many times I go back to it, Eric. I'm doing it again and again and again. Sneakers? Are you going sneakers? Sneakers. Yeah. Sneakers with Dan Aykroyd and James Earl Jones, who's also in Field of Dreams. Sorry. I, I'm guessing I can already tell that Eric used Flea. So let's hear uh, let's hear how, who you went. What what flea feature you picked to go from Fear and Loathing, Eric? I I did use flea. So flea's my guy. Flea, the bassist in Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication, one of the greatest records ever made. So I picked uh, Fear and Loathing. Flea's in this movie, as you mentioned. He's you know in the scene where he's in the bat the bathroom and they snort cocaine off his shirt. Uh, Flea's in a lot of movies, but he's in a movie called The Big Lebowski, same year, 1998, in the same year as Fear and Loathing. Uh, he plays uh, one of the nihilists in... Oh, uh, Flea's one of the nihilists? I don't think I ever knew that. Okay. Yeah, he's one of the nihilists. We believe in nothing, Eric. Yeah, we believe in nothing. Uh, also in Big The Big Lebowski's Philip Seymour Hoffman. One of the greatest actors ever. So sad that he's he's gone. Uh, he's in the uh, Boogie Nights, uh, one of Ben's favorite movies. Actually, not one of your favorite movies. It's, it's, it's great. It's just low, low tier PTA for you. It's not right? even low tier. There's just 
I, I don't know. Top five? PT, I mean, it's great. I love Boogie Nights. Please don't. Boogie Nights is is a future uh, Pot of Dreams episode. We're we're gonna do it eventually, right? I, I, I hope. Well, maybe. Are you picking it? I don't know. There's a lot of PTA. We'll do it. Ev- we'll about. do it. We have not done a PTA yet. We're we're gonna do Boogie Nights eventually. I love Boogie Nights. No, I I only because I love other stuff more that I wouldn't put it higher. I love Boogie Nights. Boogie I, I'm Nights not, is. I'm not tepid on Boogie Nights at all. Boogie it's Nights is incredible. It's a fantastic movie. It yeah, is. it's it's so good. Uh, in Boogie Nights is an actor named Alfred Molina. Oh yeah, uh, Alfred Molina. Oh that scene. Uh, oh my gosh, what's it? Um, Sister Christian. Oh my god, I love Sister that scene. Sister Christian. Yeah, that's that would maybe be in my top ten movie scenes of all time. I would probably put that that specific scene. But then I'm going. I think you've done this route. Alfred Molina's in Maverick. Uh, Maverick with Art Lafleur. Art Lafleur. He's the guy. He's like the first baseman in Field of Dreams. He's one of the the baseball players. Uh, so that's how I do it. So Flea, Big Lebowski, Boogie Nights, Maverick, Field of Dreams. And Maverick, how, we're talking the movie with Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson, Maverick. Yep, Art yep. Lafleur is in that movie. Uh, wait, wait, yeah, yeah. So is Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina is like one of the bad guys. He's one of the. Oh, he's players. at the very end, right? Yeah. He's the guy that that he he makes the ace of spades appear against Alfred Molina at the very end. That's right. Okay. Right. Yep. Yep. So that's how we get there. Uh, okay. So that's uh, that's my five degrees of field of dreams. Ben, do you have anything else you'd like to say? About fear and loathing in Las no, Vegas. No, I, I mean if you're a square, you might not like this, but if you're a cool guy like Eric, you probably love it. So I, I love I love this movie. I, I really do it. It has a special place in my far, uh, my heart. In your fart. In my fart. Don't. Yeah, do I mean, drugs. I, I, I'm remembering my just say no in elementary school um, and about all the deleterious effects that drugs can have. So if you're um, listening to this and you say Alexa. Play the Pod of Rosedale podcast. It will play our podcast. It'll play this. Even though this is the Pod of Dreams, it'll play the Pod of Rosedale? It will play it, yeah, because it's the most recent episode. So, uh, kids, yeah. tell your Alexa to play the Pod of Rosedale Tell your parents podcast. Alexa to play it. If they're not listening to it, absolutely. And you'll hear this. Um, no, I, I, I love this movie. I love the soundtrack. I love the feel. I love the 70s. I love Hunter S. Thompson. I, he means a lot to me. So the other thing I haven't mentioned yet is my brother, who's he was just on the other episode. Um, he introduced a few me to, a few weeks ago. He introduced me to to uh, uh, this character and to Hunter S. Thompson, and and he's read all of his stuff. He's read his books. And, Eric, and have you read Hunter S. Thompson before? I have not. I've I've read it. So he re- he wrote for ESPN for a while. Like page two, if you ever read page two, he read this article. He wrote this article. The first thing I ever read about him was about like the Baltimore Ravens, like the Ray Lewis Baltimore Ravens. He wrote about, it was like he was like comparing them to like leeches. It was super weird. But I remember reading him like, wow, this guy's fucking weird. And then yeah, I was like, oh, that's the same guy from Fear and Loathing. So like. I, I've never read his books. I have it here. I'm gonna read it. So you I'm, like your so your connection with him is Fear and Loathing Las Vegas plus ESPN for ESPN page, page two. two. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, your that's connection. my personal okay. connection with him. A hundred percent. Yep. Um, and and so I, like I find him an interesting character. I find him a unique person, and um, 
I, I think he's a valid like critique of of our society. Eric got the last word. Um, so what are we what are we what are we gonna listen? What are, we, what are we gonna watch next, Eric? Right. So next next episode of the Pod Dreams, we're having another guest, a special guest, one of our buddies, you and me, and and a daily fantasy sports superstar. I want. I really think we need to hype up a guy who's won millions playing fantasy football literally millions yeah i'm not making that up that's uh, this guy this guy that's going to be on our honor we're talking seven digits plus yes is a superstar on on daily fantasy he's one of the best he's an expert neil orfield is going to be on our podcast and he's going to be watching the movie uncut gems and we're going to review a really great movie about uh people who aren't circumcised that's it. Yep, a hundred percent. That's the podcast. Uh, yeah. So so Neil's gonna jump on. He's gonna talk about uncut gems, and we're gonna talk about gambling. We're gonna talk about the Timberwolves, and we're gonna talk about betting. Timberwolves on celebrate sports. too much. You know what? Like, get over it. Act like you've been there before. You you losers celebrating because you made the playoffs. What a bunch of lamos. Well, watch uncut gems. It's on Netflix. Hey, don't listen to Ben. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a Hawkeye fan. He doesn't know about basketball. And uh, uh, enjoy, enjoy our next podcast. And, uh, yeah, take it easy. If you can stand on a hill in Des Moines and you can look west, you can see the high water mark when the wave crests you just, down. You just see cornfields <laughs> um, and apathy. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hey, Go Iowa Awesome is the best website in the world. It's hey, Eric. You know what's a great city? St. Paul. St. Paul's a great city. Nah, it's not that great. Des Moines better. That's the smartest thing you said on this podcast.